Well, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Of course, we're continuing our study of the history of Israel. We started with 1 Samuel, we saw Samuel, and then we saw Saul, the first king. And now we're really looking at the life of David in 2 Samuel. He's the second king, and he's a man after God's own heart. And we move into one of the most famous passages in the life of David in the Bible, and that's his sin with Bathsheba. And it's the turning point in his life. And as we've said many times that after this, things are never quite the same. As we look at this passage, we see the subject of sin. I hate to say it, we're going to talk about sin and temptation in this passage. And as we look at this section, there's a number of things to think about. First of all, realize that, first of all, we are all capable of any sin. Sometimes a person says, well, I'd never do that. You put you in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll do the wrong thing. Be very careful. We must deal with sin in our lives, and then we think about how are we tempted, because temptation and sin are different things, and what is the pattern in sin and temptation? So we're going to do that, and as we look at this, our goal is this. As we look at these Old Testament passages that are written for our instruction so that we might make application, that we would understand it and make application in our lives. So there's some great things. As we start, I think about our culture and our society. We don't, uh, we don't want to use the word, our culture doesn't want to use the word sin anymore. We say things like mistakes and failures and problems. Adultery is an affair. Homosexuality is an alternate lifestyle. Stealing is misappropriating. Lying is misinformation. The truth is we all sin. In fact, the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one the own way. So the truth is every one of us in this room, all of us, we've all sinned and come short of God's glory. And we sin on an ongoing basis. But the great truth is that God so loved us and God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for sin. And whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of every human being, past, present, and future for all time. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we are changed. We are changed from the inside out. Uh, we become a new creation. The Bible talks about being born again. We have eternal life. We become a child of God. But we cannot forget that we still have the pull to sin. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. It's called the flesh, and we'll see it. Where that every one of us and any one of us in this room are capable of any sin. We see this clearly in the life of David, a man after God's own heart. And yet... He sins and he falls. That's why the Bible talks to us about take heed lest we think we stand, we fall. So as we look at this passage, we're going to look, we're going to spend a little bit of time. It's going to take two or three weeks to get through this little section about what happens with David here, and I want you to see it. When you think about David, you really think about two things. You either think about David and Goliath, and everybody goes, yeah, the great victory, and then you think about David and Bathsheba, and it's the great failure. And we've come to what I consider one of the saddest passages in the Bible. It is definitely sad in the life of David. He's a man after God's own heart, yet he sins. And here's the real issue. The real issue is David does not deal with his sin. That's the problem. And we're going to see their consequences. So as we look at this, we see David as the leader, as the king, a man of God. We see his failure, and we realize the same thing, that we're all like David. Every one of this room can sin. Most of us, we sin every day. Uh, but we're capable of anything, so we have to be very careful. As we go through our passage, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to look at four things this morning as we go through our passage. We're only going to look at the first five verses, but the first thing we're going to talk about is we are all capable, we are capable of any sin, and then we're going to talk about sin and temptation. The idea of sin, temptation is different than sin. We'll see what it is, where, how. Then we're going to look at consequences of sin. 
the whole idea of fellowship and discipline. And then the last part will be we talk about dealing with sin. And the truth is when we get to this passage, we'll talk about it, but we won't see it in the passage because David doesn't deal with his sin in this passage. And we'll see it as we go through it. So there's a lot there. So we think about David, a great man, the king of Israel, raised up by God. We know that he's God's representative of, uh, on this earth for the nation of Israel. And sometimes people in leadership, they think sometimes because of power, they think they're above the law. They think they're above certain things. And we must realize that those who are in leadership are not exceptions, but they're to be examples. And so we're going to see that as we go through this. And, and let me give you sort of the outline just of the passage. It's really a little bit today. Uh, it's just the first five verses. David's sin, we're going to see the battle at Rabbah, and that's verse 1. And then verses 2 through 5 is David and Bathsheba. And we'll see that. We're going to see a lot of different things as we go through it. Do you remember the card? You may have it in your Bible. You may not. There's still some out front. This is Second Samuel. What we do is whenever we study a book of the Bible, we always get you a little card on one side. gives the out information about the book and who wrote it and when and where. And on the other side is usually the outline. And on this one, we divided the book this way. We said in chapters 1 through 10, it's David in triumph. But in chapters 11 through 24, we call it David in trouble. And so beginning this, up to this point, everything's been really good. And now we're going to see the trouble. And David's sin affects him the rest of his life. And we're going to see David is in a great place of responsibility. He's the leader of God's people. He's God's representative. Sometimes you don't think about this, but you are too. You are an ambassador for Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ. We're in positions of responsibility representing Jesus Christ in our culture, in our neighbors, and wherever we are. And so uh, we have a responsibility as well. Well, as we start, let's start with this first point in that we're all are, we all are capable of any sin. That means any one of us in this room, we're all capable. Even David, a man after God's own heart. And we think about it, there's, uh, uh, what happens? Why do we see what Let me give you a little background. We're going to first look, this is an unbeliever. An unbeliever comes in this world with a body, and, and that holds everything together. And then they have a soul, the soul, which has, where's the mind and the emotion and the will. It's the part that can relate to the world around us. And then we have a conscience. A conscience is basically tells us right from wrong. You can see your conscience where you don't obey it anymore. You don't listen to it. But a conscience tells us right from wrong. The book of Romans says that written in our hearts, the law, the principles of right and wrong are written inside of every person. And then there's this thing called the flesh. From the fall of Adam and Eve, that we have a natural bent to sin. It's called the flesh. Sometimes it's called the old man. It's called the bent to do wrong. It's called sin within me. And sometimes it's just called the flesh. It is the natural bit to sin. We do not have to teach our children to do wrong. We have to teach our children to do right because we automatically do wrong. Every one of us in this room, the natural bent of a person is to do wrong. As we come into this world, dead in trespasses and sins, this is an unbeliever. And so an unbeliever has a body and a soul and a conscience and a flesh, a natural bent to sin. But what happens when we believe? When we believe... We are born again. We still have a body, a conscience, a soul, and a flesh, but we're born again. We put that as the human spirit. We were dead spiritually. We're now alive spiritually. The human spirit is a part of us that can relate to God, that can know him, that can relate to him. But as, a, as an unbeliever, you're dead in sin. You can't relate to God. As a believer, you can. And then we also, by, by the grace of God, at this time, the Holy Spirit actually comes to live inside of every believer. 
And so you see, as a believer, we have a body, a soul, a conscience, a flesh, human spirit, which is the part that's born again, and a holy, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. You may notice something. There's a problem here because you have the Holy Spirit, who is God, who says, obey and live and do right, and you have the flesh, which is a part of you that says, do wrong. We live in a fallen world that's controlled by the devil, and that fallen world affects our flesh and wants us to do wrong. In fact, the book of Romans says that the flesh never wants to do right. The flesh never wants to obey God. So so you have this battle going on inside of each one of us in this room. You have a desire to know and to serve God. You also have a desire to go contrary to God and to serve yourself and to sin. And we call this battle Galatians. Whoops. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 and 17 basically says walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh there's the battle for the spirit lust against the, uh, the flesh lust against the spirit spirit against the flesh they're contrary one to another so you may not do the things that you want there's this battle inside of you that you wake up in the morning and you say I want to live for God and serve him and there's a part of you that says I don't want to and I want to do what I want to do and I want to do what is is my desires and we'll talk about it 1 Corinthians 10:12 says take heed lest you think you stand you fall we got to be real careful and Proverbs 4 says we must guard our hearts be careful what we bring into our lives because what we put in comes out so you can see that this is what we are like. There's this battle going on. And, and just remember, we all experience this temptation, and we'll talk about it more in just a minute. So look at chapter 11, 2 Samuel 11, and look at verse 1. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, and that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbath, But David stayed in Jerusalem. Now, let's talk for a minute. We already saw back in chapter 10 and other places where they defeated these enemies. Well, chapter 11 is actually the details of how they defeated the Ammonites. Now, the Ammonites were people that lived to the, basically to the east of, of Israel. And if they're going after the city called Rabbah, it was called Rabbath Ammon after the Ammonites. Well, Today, that's Amman, Jordan. And the, the Steve Lewis, the guy that we mentioned up here, he goes to Amman, Jordan to minister. That's Rabbath Amman. That's the Ammonites. Same people. Same city. The city that David is conquering in this passage is the city that he goes to and ministers to today. Still there. So it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. They didn't they didn't battle much in the winter. It was too cold, and it's muddy and cold, and you can't do anything. It's hard to kill people in the cold weather. You know, so what you want to do is you want to wait till it's spring, and you feel better. And so you say, oh, I feel a lot better. Let's go, let's go have a battle. And so it happened in the spring when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, sends the army, and they're going to go, and it gives us the, the, the overview. It says, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But then there's something. But David stayed in Jerusalem. Now, David's a warrior, and the first time they went and uh, fought the Ammonites, David didn't go. The second time they went, they fought them and some others, and David went and fought. This time, David sends Joab and the men to go get the city of Rabbath Ammon, and, and, uh, but David stays. But why? Why did David stay? We have no idea. If you said to David, David, why did you stay? He could say, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just I thought maybe I just not to go. Let them go do the fight or something. And we, we could say, David, you, you probably should have gone. It would have been better for you in the long run if you'd have gone. And see, so it starts off and it just says, but David stayed in Jerusalem. And that's really not David. David's a fighter. 
He's, he's always been a warrior. He's always been a fighter. He's killed us 10,000s. He's always done it. And here's a battle, and David doesn't go. And in fact, the way the Hebrew is written, it says, but here's this contrast. Everybody went to battle, but David. David stayed in Jerusalem. Well, this could be the beginning of the problems. Notice, here's the second big thing. Is, and we want to talk about sin and its temptation. And I want you to understand something. Three things we need to look at. What exactly is temptation? Where does temptation come from? And what is the pattern in temptation? Because we're going to see it in David's life. We're going to see it in our own lives. So what is temptation? Temptation is the pull to sin. Temptation is not sin. You could walk somewhere and see something and go, oh my, and it's, it's pulling you, it's tempting you. That's not sin. Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin. So temptation itself, a pull to do wrong is not sin because you haven't done wrong yet. You're pulled to do wrong. So temptation itself is not sin. It is a pull to sin. And, and it, it's a powerful thing because you have the flesh. You live in a fallen world. You live in a world in which the God of this age is Satan. Satan controls the fallen world. The fallen world affects your flesh. And so you're naturally pulled to do wrong. Temptation is there. It, we, we, we get up in the morning. You go to work. You go to school. You go to, you're going to be tempted. There's temptation everywhere. There's pulls on you because you still have a flesh, the natural bent to sin. So watch what happens. Look at verse 2. Now, when the evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Now, so here's David. He gets up. It says he got up from his bed. So this is a little bit later at night. And it says he went on the roof of the, listen, that David, when David built his palace, it was at the top of uh, the city of David as a hill. It's built there. He's on top of that. He looks over the city of David as called, and all these houses are down there. He can see everything. When it says he walked on his roof, don't think like he got up on some kind of roof that's all slanted. Most places were built with a place that you could go and get on top and sit as like a, almost like a balcony or something so that they could be in the cool of the evening. And so David gets up from bed and from the bed and is walking around on the roof and he looks down and he sees this woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. She didn't have any clothes on, okay? She's bathing. And so let's just raise some questions. Um, Why is she bathing at this time? Why is David in bed and then gets up and comes out there? Did she know that David could see her? Did David know that she maybe bathed like this a lot of times? Who knows? I don't know. It doesn't say. We don't know anything. Now, what should David have done? I mean, let's face it. David walked out and went. He should have said, oh. Bye, I'm going back in, right? That's what he should have done. We'll talk about it because there's a temptation coming, right? There's a temptation coming. There's a woman with no clothes down there bathing. And some people have said, well, maybe she knew and maybe she was doing this on purpose. Well, we don't know that. We don't know anything. And some people have said, well, David, he's probably watched her many times. We don't know that. In fact, if you look at the passage, it appears that maybe this is the first time he's seen her. So let's see and answer sort of a second question, because you're going to all be tempted. The second is, where does temptation come from? Temptation is stimulated from without, but begins within. Listen, the fallen world, the things, the people, that David, this woman, that everything else, it's, it's from without, but it actually begins from within. Now, I'm going to read something to you. I don't want you to have to turn there, but this is the book of James. 
And in James chapter 1, he says about where temptation and sin and all that comes from. And it's in James chapter 1. Listen to this. Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God is not going to bring something into your life that's going to cause you to sin. He does not tempt people to sin. It says that. If there's a test from God, it's for approval. It's for you to do what's right, not what's wrong. So he says, let no one say when you're tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Because you're not. Because God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But then he goes on to say, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. The word lust there is the idea of the flesh. He said real temptation comes when you see something and your flesh wants it and you're tempted and pulled away by that way. And it goes on to say, when the lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You die in a fellowship sense with your relationship with God. So he says, listen, don't blame God when temptation comes in your life. You blame the fact that there it is, and your flesh looks over there, and your flesh wants it, and it says, if you keep on, it's eventually going to be sin. I'm going to show you the pattern in just a minute. And, and just remember that we're capable of anything. So what is the pattern? How does it work? Well, there's a pattern. There are four aspects when temptation comes. Here they are. We see it, we want it, we take it, and we hide it. We see it. We want it, we take it, and we hide it. Now, I want you to turn, okay? Hold your place, Second Samuel 11, and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, because we're going to see this, and we see it with Adam and Eve, and we're going to see it all the way through the Bible. I want to show you several places. This is Genesis chapter 3. If you remember, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, basically said, eat from any of the trees you want to, except this one tree, for the not tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. They eat from it, you die. You die, die and you'll surely die. You're going to die spiritually and you're going to die physically. Satan came in the form of a serpent, came to the woman and tricked her. And she said, that Satan said to her, if, you, if God really loved you, he'd let you eat every tree. And God is not telling you the truth. He's lying. He wanted her to doubt God's love and to doubt God's word. And she saw all this and, and she saw the fruit. And notice, look at chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 6. And look what it says. When the woman saw, remember the first thing? You see it. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable, she wanted it. She saw it. She wanted it. Then it says, and she took it, fruit, and ate. So she took it. She saw it. She wanted it. She took it. And then she gave it to, to Adam, and he ate, and they both realized, oh, oh, we're in trouble. And so in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and the man and the woman hid themselves. So what is the pattern? You see it. You want it, you take it, you hide. That's exactly what they did. Now, I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 7. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, okay? Joshua chapter 7. I want you to get there. As you're turning there, let me give you the background. The na uh, here's the nation of Israel. They're going to conquer Jericho. God says, conquer Jericho, and they make the plan. Whenever you go in there, don't touch anything. It all belongs to God. Just wipe it out, but don't touch anything. Well, a man by the name of Achan, he went in there and he saw some stuff that looked really good. And he thought, I'm going to get it. And he got it. And then God sent word to Joshua that there's sin in the camp. And so they cast lots, and it ultimately came back to this one man named Achan. 
And they said, Achan, what did you do? And so, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 20, so Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. Now watch what he says. And let me, let me pull it on up to Achan. Look what it says. When I saw, I saw among the spoils a beautiful man from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them. That means I wanted it. I desired it. I saw it. I desired it. And then I took them. And then what did I do? And behold, they're concealed. I hid them. What's the four things he did? I saw it. I wanted it. I took it. I hid it. When temptation comes in your life, you're going to be tempted to see something. You, you see it, and you go, whoa. And then you want it. And then the hard part comes the be- is when you do it. And then you hide it. Go back to Second uh, Samuel. Now, you say, wow, is it always like that? Yeah, it is, but it doesn't always have to end in failure. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph, the brother, who was a slave in Egypt, and he's working for a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar has a wife, and Joseph is handsome, and the wife says, hey, come have sex with me. Come lie with me. And Joseph knows it's wrong, and he says no. And so she comes after him, but what does he do? He sees. He might even want. She was probably pretty. But he fled, he ran, he ran out. And that's the key. The key is to get away when the temptations come. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lust, flee lust and temptation. What should David have done when he walked out and he saw and he wanted? See, what he did next was he took. But what he should have done is go, this is not right. I can't do this. But you know, we could say, David... What do you think you're doing? David says, you weren't there. You might have done the same thing as me. You want to stand out there and look at her? We'd say, well, David, I mean, that still doesn't make it right. No, it doesn't. So what did David do? What did David do? He saw her, 11-2. It says, he saw this woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. And then what did he do? He desired her. 11 verse 3, so David sat and inquired about the woman. He said, who is this woman? Who is this woman? And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? By the way, Uriah is one of his soldiers, one of his main soldiers. He knows Uriah. He knows this is Uriah's wife. Now, you could say, poor David. I mean, he doesn't have any women, and so he sees this woman, and that's why he won't. Listen, he's already got seven wives. This is not a question of poor David. David knows who she is now. He saw her. He desired her. And he said, somebody tell me who that is. And they came back and said, this woman, um, she's Bathsheba, but she belongs to Uriah, you know, one of your soldiers. He saw. He wanted. And notice what it goes on to say. David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from uncleanliness, she returned to her house. And we've got to look at that one for a minute. He took her. Now, let me raise some questions. So you're Bathsheba, and you get a knock at the door. And two messengers from the king say, we're representing King David. He would like for you to come see him. Could she say no? I mean, he is the king of Israel, right? I mean, if he's calling for you, does she know why he's calling? Could it be that her husband got killed in battle and David just wants to break it to her? Could it be that he 
wants to give her money to help with her family? Since Why would he call for her? Do you think she might have known? Do you think that when she's bathing, she might have seen him up there looking? We, I don't know. But two messengers come, and so here's the real question. Could she have said, tell King David, no, thank you? I don't know. I don't know whether she could have or not. I mean, kings are kings, you know what I mean? They're pretty strong, pretty powerful. They have a lot of authority. David sent messengers and took her. What is it? You see it? You want it? You take it. And he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from uncleanness, she returned to her house. Now, we got to look at this. Do you know what this means? In Leviticus chapter 15, verse 18, under the Mosaic law, when a woman had sexual relations, she had to purify herself after sexual relations, according to the law. So what did she do after she had sexual relations with David? She purified herself. And what, what I kind of say is, okay, so you want to keep that part of the law, but not the other part of the law, Right? You could say, oh, I just had sexual relations, so according to Leviticus, I better do this. But what about the adultery part? What about that for all of them? It's kind of easy to say, I didn't do that, but I did this. So we have to be careful. And so she purifies herself from her uncleanliness and returned to the house. And so when I look at that, that she returned to the house, and this last aspect is David hit it, did it. She goes back home. And David says to himself, one night stand. She says, I really didn't have much of a choice. I mean, the king called you. And they hit it. They hit it. David basically says, nobody's going to ever know. Let me, let me throw this out for a second. So what did David do? He saw, he desired, he took, he hid. And he says, nobody will ever know. Well, let me raise a few questions, okay? What do you mean nobody's going to ever know? Who are the two messengers that went and got her and brought her to David? You think they know? They know what happened. They're not stupid. They know exactly what happened. So if David thinks nobody knows, you know, sometimes we do things wrong and we say, nobody knows. People know. People find out. When you see it, it's not in a vacuum. It affects you and other people. Always does. Always does. And so David is going, I think I'm okay. I think we made it. I think we made it. We're all capable of sin. Sin's temptations. We've seen it. But look at number three consequences of sin. And, and sometimes we think nothing happened. Sometimes God is so gracious and merciful that when he deals with us, of course he always deals with us as a father with a child. He says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. So he always deals with us as a heavenly father. Even when he disciplines us, even when he... And sometimes I think David is probably thinking, I think I got away with this. I think I got away with this. But look what happened. Verse 5. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. As she was sent word to David, I'm pregnant. You can see David going, what? What are you talking about? What? What? 
listen, this was not, this is not part of the deal. I, I wasn't counting on this. And you know what she's saying? I wasn't either. This is not what I expected to happen. And see, now we're in trouble because you, how you going to hide this? And, and you can't say, this is my husband, because he's at battle. He's been out there. He's going to be out there for a while. And now there's some people who know she came up there. Well, what are we going to do? See, when sin, when you sin, be not deceived, God is not mine. Whatever you sow, you what? You reap it. What are some consequences? Think about this. What are some consequences when we sin? There's broken fellowship with God and others. When we sin, we break fellowship with God and with others. That's why when people get sin in their lives, they don't want to come to church. They don't want to be around other believers. Because not only do you not have fellowship with God, you don't have fellowship with other believers. And there's discipline for God because whom he loves, he chastens. And there's a loss of testimony because people are going to find out, you know what, David is never going to be the same after this because he was so famous to begin with. And then there's the loss of rewards. And what I mean by that is if you've got sin in your life and you're out of fellowship, you, you can't be serving God and getting rewards. And that happens in our lives. So what's going to happen? Well, it stops there. We're stopping right there this morning. But the fourth thing is to deal, dealing with sin is confess and forsake. And David doesn't do that. He hides it. So when, when we sin, what should we do? We could confess our sins. Confess means to tell on yourself. We're going to get more details on this in the next couple of weeks. But the bottom line is confession is to say, I sinned. I tell on myself, I did wrong. David should have gone to God immediately and said, I did wrong, but he tried to hide it. If you read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, those are two Psalms written by David confessing his sin with Bathsheba. Read them. Read them over the week. Read them this next week. Psalm 32 is the easiest to read. It's the shortest one. But both of them have dealings where David says, I have sinned against you and you only have I sinned. Talking to God. So what should we do when we sin? We should confess our sins. The moment you realize you sin, confess it. Because the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to go in a lot more detail in the next couple of weeks on, on this aspect of confession and what happens. But David, at this point, doesn't deal with it. And Bible scholars who study all this and chronology and everything, we're going to see that Nathan comes to David to confront him sometime later. And most believe it's about a year later. So David goes about a year without dealing with this. What should we do when we sin? Confess it and forsake it. That means try to go away from it. Got to be real careful. Don't put ourselves in situations where we'll get right back in the same thing. So what have we seen? We've seen the men have gone off to war. David stays behind. He sees Bathsheba. He sees her. He wants her. He takes her. And then he tries to hide it. And we see that there's an issue now. There's another life involved. There's a baby. What's going to happen? What are they going to do? Well, let me give you some applications. Let's realize that we're all capable of any sin. Listen, take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. Don't say something like this. I would never do that. You do not know. You get in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll do the wrong thing. I know. I know, I know personally. You know personally as well. We've all seen and come short of the glory of God. Don't go around saying, I wouldn't do that or I wouldn't do this. You don't know what you're capable of doing. We're fallen people. You have the flesh. You have the natural bent 
to sin. So realize we're capable, all of us are capable of any sin. Let's understand the whole issue of temptation. And remember, temptation is not sin. It's the pull to sin. So when you're tempted, you're not sinned. You may be pulled. You may go, oh, no. David walked out there. I guarantee you he saw her. He was tempted right then. That's not sin. Temptation is the natural pull. It's that pull from the flesh. But there's a pattern. Remember it? We see it. We want it. We take it. We hide it. Adam and Eve did it. Achan did it. David did it. We do it. And so be careful. Understand it. Understand what's going on in our lives. Because see, if you can can see it and then desire it and then go away, you're okay. You haven't done it. Because I guarantee you today, every one of us in this room are going to be tempted about something. Every one of us. See it. We desire it. We then do it. We're not supposed to, but we do it, and then we try to hide it. Let's realize that there are consequences to sin. Think about it. The broken fellowship with God and others, the discipline that happens, the loss of testimony, even the loss of rewards. And then last but not least, deal with sin in our lives. David, in this passage, he doesn't do it. That's why we we didn't talk about it. He doesn't do it. There's a time coming. We'll see it as we continue to go through it. In fact, if you, in chapter 12, just a chapter away, but there's, there's a bunch of stuff that happens in chapter 11. That's why we stopped today after the first five. We've got a lot to look at. Deal with sin in our lives. Confess it and forsake it. It's easy sometimes just to confess it. We know that if we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. The key is not to keep putting ourselves in a situation where we can keep doing it. That's why it says forsake it. One of the Proverbs says, he who confesses his sin and forsakes it is blessed. So when you sin, and you will, and I will, confess it immediately. And sometimes when that temptation comes, we're going to see it, we're going to want it. Don't do it. Don't hide it. Get out of there like Joseph did. And if you were to fall, confess it and forsake it.